the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dershman and I have an amazing show for you tonight with an absolutely coveted guest for our first half. Larry, who do we have? Yes, Wendy. Dr. Robert Malone is the inventor of the nine original mRNA vaccine patents, which were originally filed in 1989, including both the idea of mRNA vaccines and the original proof of principal experiments and RNA transfection. Dr. Malone has 100 peer-reviewed publications, which have been cited over 12,000 times, and I could go on and on, but uh, since we have a short time, welcome to the program, Dr. Malone. So privileged to have you on. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, since we're broadcasting to La Jolla, which I have many warm memories of, uh, you may you didn't include in that is that my wife used to work for the San Diego Zoo and. <sighs> But I just want to give a shout out to the former Vical employees that also played key roles in those patents and acknowledge their contributions. The way it works with patents is that everybody who's named there is a co-inventor. And the Patent and Trademark Office makes no distinction about whether somebody was more important or less important. So a lot of people contributed to this. I came up with the original ideas, but... Uh, the patents have many names, and I just uh, want to acknowledge uh, my former colleagues at Vical and their contributions. You know, Dr. Malone, I know that just over two years ago, I believe, you were living a relatively quiet life on a Virginia farm, uh, trading and breeding Portuguese horses with your wife, Jill. And then once the coronavirus began, um, obviously within days, you were talking about your involvement in developing the MNRA vaccines and uh, technology. Do you, how did that transition happen so quickly? I hope I'm right about the Portuguese horses. <laughs> yeah, Lusitanos. Uh, we, we travel to Portugal all the time, and, and uh, it's one of our favorite places in the world. Uh, it, it's not The story isn't quite that way, and I don't know how much time we have here. Wendy, uh, is this a 10-minute uh, clip, or are we a little longer? It's about 10. Yeah. So briefly, uh, I have been running a consulting business for decades and often working very closely with the U.S. government, often at the interface between government and, and various businesses and, and uh, contractors. And uh, so I was already working on a defense threat reduction agency contract 
for identifying drugs as countermeasures for organophosphate poisoning, which is to say nerve agents, chemical warfare nerve agents. And uh, I got this call from Wuhan and got the team to voluntarily pivot to focusing on repurposing drugs. And that was the big focus and thrust of our work for quite a long time uh, until the vaccine decisions were made and the deployment started happening and the data came out about the non-clinical trials. And when I, when I was asked to read and, and make some determinations about that, and what I read and found uh, in the Japanese dossier was evidence that uh, the rules just weren't being followed. And so I, you know, anytime you run into something like that as an, as an expert, basically, you have to make a choice. Are you going to stay silent about what's wrong? Or are you going to say, no, this isn't right? And that's kind of the trigger that led me down this pathway was um, uh, speaking what I saw was the truth of the situation. And uh, one thing has just led to another. You know, it's interesting that uh, I wanted to get into the details of how the whole thing works. It's so amazing. I was kind of reading up on all this about transfection and so forth. But uh, maybe more importantly, because of the shortness of this segment, I wanted to find out, in your opinion, and feel free to answer this, Dr. Malone, or not, is the current crop of vaccines being used to fight the SARS-CoV-2 virus it's a pretty broad statement. Safe? And should we be, here's the bigger thing, should we be compelled by the government and employers to take it? There's been such a tragic loss of employment and so forth. What are your feelings on that, if you want to comment? Well, let's start with the mandates. The mandates ethically are absolutely inappropriate, and they are inconsistent with what's called the common rule, and they're inconsistent with the Nuremberg uh, agreement, the Helsinki Accords, and so many other things. And there has been a a very odd uh, kind of predetermined effort to uh, negate or um, neutralize or avoid the need to uh, implement uh, what has long been accepted norms in bioethics that preceded even this outbreak uh, in the event of emergency use authorization. But the rules have always been if the product is not licensed and none of these are licensed products in the United States, then there should be full informed consent and it should be voluntary, not coerced. And both of those uh, criteria have not been met. Um, and the coercion, of course, is rampant. That's the mandates. So that's absolutely fundamentally wrong in a bioethical standpoint. And I I think that that's going to come out more and more clearly. Uh, The, um, the, I think it's important also to remember that I believe there's 10 different licensed vaccines globally, according to the world health organization, we just have access to three and really just two of those are being promoted. And the two that are being promoted are both based on the MRNA technology. Well, I guess there's now there's Novavax. Um, but uh, so there, it's been rather odd that the government has been so focused on pushing the mRNA based products. And I, I just without getting conspiratorial, um, I think it's important to note that 
the uh, advancement of the mRNA technology has been an explicit objective of DARPA, which is kind of the R&D arm of the intelligence community. And we could talk about why that is, but uh, I think that a lot of this underlying push to legitimize this technology platform relates to broader agenda items than just this particular outbreak. Over. Well said, Dr. Malone. I think you, you, you've you done this before. You're used to really get <laughs> honing in yeah. great sound bites and snippets of information. You know, one very practical question that I know that our listeners have, um, everyone follows, uh, you know, everybody follows your great work and what you've done, and you're so articulate in your opinions. One of the foundational questions people have, even sort of getting into this conversation, is how did this become a pandemic and why did this become a pandemic. Most people never thought they'd live through a pandemic. And this just hit hit us like a, I can't say like a hurricane given current times, but it just packed a wallop beginning of 2020. So I was infected in late February 2020 with the original Wuhan strain. And I can tell you, it kicked me pretty hard. Uh, I had trouble walking up a hill. I couldn't do my farm work and wow. I was debilitated for quite a long time. So there's a whole storyline that the virus doesn't exist and that this isn't a real disease. And I kind of personally object to that because I yeah. I received it and I can tell you it kicked me pretty good and it was not the flu. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, you asked the why uh, this clearly the in uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the genetic modification of the furin cleavage site was intentionally engineered and that we're really quite close to understanding the nuance of how that came to be and the actors involved. Uh, and part of that came out with the Lancet Commission report. So, so that fear and cleavage site modification seemed to have really made this thing a lot more infectious and a lot more pathogenic. Mm. And so that, that addresses the uh, how um, the, the rapid spread, I think, also really demonstrates how interconnected we are globally to each other through travel and everything else. And uh, there's, there's this whole storyline <clears throat> being promoted by, I talk about fear porn, and there was the piece out in the New York Times the other day saying, oh, we're going to have more pandemics. Well, of course we are. Um, nature of infectious disease and uh, whether they're naturally occurring or engineered, this, these things will happen again. They happen to us all the time. We just don't usually notice them uh, because the natural spread of most of these infectious pathogens, viruses, is just part of our daily life. We consider it uh, a cold or something like that. It just happened that this particular one was quite pathogenic. Right. Doctor, uh, we are getting a little bit short on time. Where could people find out more about you and your work and so forth? Don't you have a website? Yeah, we have a number of websites. For those interested in, in some of the more, the deeper things having to do with public policy, you can find us at the MaloneInstitute.org. The Substack, so that's rwmalonemd.substack.com is where we put out most of our thought pieces. And because I'm banned on Getter, I mean, on Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm on Getter, Gab, and Truth Social at RWMLoanMD. 
Thank you so much. You know, our listeners are going to want to learn more about you. And I, I didn't know about your personal experience in February of, of, of 2020. I mean, that's just, um, you are a, really an inspiration to a lot of people that are just fascinated by the technology to begin with. And then, of course, how it becomes a pandemic. And the personal experience even adds a little bit of a silver lining. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time, talent, and wisdom with us today. Thanks, and uh, uh, hello and goodbye to all my buddies in law. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Malone. You are fantastic. I hope you can come back on. You're always a welcome guest here. Thank you, Dr. Malone. And to our listeners, there's going to be more of Live with Dr. Wendy in just a minute, so don't touch that dial. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. And again, my co-host Larry Dersham and I have an amazing dynamic duo on the line for the second half. Larry, who do we have? Uh, Yes, Wendy. David Limbaugh is a lawyer, political commentator, and author of 10 national bestsellers, including Jesus on Trial, The Emmaus Code, The True Jesus, and Jesus is Risen. The brother of the late radio host Rush Limbaugh, the great Rush Limbaugh, David lives with his wife Lisa in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Kristen Limbaugh Bloom is the oldest of David and Lisa Limbaugh's five children. She lives with her husband, Sam, and son, Zeke, in Texas, where she works as a producer for Fox News and a personal assistant to Fox News host Sean Hannity. David and Kristen have just come out with a new book this month titled The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to be talking about largely this evening. So thank you both for coming on, David and Kristen. Thank you for having us. So, um, David, we have followed your career for a long time. Kristen, I'm in awe of yours. Um, I've appeared many times on Fox News, but I can't imagine what it's like behind the scenes producing that type of a high-powered, fast-moving show. Um, But I thought, I think it's also, I, I, I just hats off to what you do. I don't think half the people that listen to news actually appreciate what goes on, which I know David knows very well as well. Um, your new book, The Resurrected Jesus, that you actually wrote together, is this the first book you wrote together as a team? And what was it like working together? You both have such great personalities separately. Better together? Well, I, well, I'm, uh, she's going to probably pretend that she had something to do with the first 10 books, too, but she didn't have a thing to do with it, other than being an inspiration. No, but this, this uh, it was really... Very cool. Kristen had started, she always had a knack for writing, and uh, she is a really spirit-filled Christian. And so I thought, and she's written pieces for Fox, uh, Fox Nation, the Fox website, I mean, and so on Christian things. So I asked her if she would be interested in doing this, thinking, I know she'd love to get into book writing business sometime, and I had so many people helping me, i.e. my brother, Sean Hannity, get my foot in the door, wanted to help her get jump started and I knew she could contribute contribute significantly to the book. So I asked her and she was really all over it. And we did it. We 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 shared the research and the writing of the content. 
But we added a new element to this one. It's, it's about uh, seven books in the Bible, seven of the final seven epistles from the Apostle Paul. And we could go into specifics on those, but just giving you the overview. And so we do like a, a statement or a restatement, paraphrase of the, all the chapters and, and verses in those epistles, in those books. And then we add commentary and our own insights. And we, you know, co-edited and all that, each other, bounced ideas back and forth. But then we added a new element from my previous book, and this one was prayer. Kristen has, has always been a prayer warrior and inspired me on that level because I'm more on the head knowledge and not the heart, heart part of it, and I've always aspired to be more that way, and we all need to have a balance. And so she's always inspired me that way. I thought, you know, she's so, she has such a facility for prayer. If we add that in the context of a book and, and, and the actual have prayer specific to the content of the book, which is totally about scripture, hopefully it will draw readers into the content and thus inspire them to read the Bible. And it's like there's prayers all the way through it. So as one of my friends said, it not only uh, adds to the content and makes the book much more readable, it gives a, it gives it a better pacing because you've got these boxes and the prayers and make you think about what you just read. And we all readers, we get tired, you know, we read, we read so much, and it just makes the reading process easier. So I'm going on and on, but I'm really excited about that, and I think it's a better book than any of my others because of that. Oh, it's, nice. it, it's a great book. It, it, um, I, I was uh, reading it, and I, I love how you have those prayer prayers in there. It's, it just goes along with the chapters. And uh, uh, Wendy and I are both uh, Christian attorneys, so we're very much like you. And it was not until I was working for a big firm back in the Midwest, because I live in uh, California, they were flying me back across every every other week across the country. I said, you know, I, I better uh, start reading the Bible, even though I've been raised in a Christian home, in case you know I something happens and God asks me, did you read my book? So, so I've started to read the Bible. So, with this book that you just came out with, the Resurrected Jesus, be a good. Uh, thing to use as you're reading the Bible? You can have it like side by side? Kristen, you take that. Yes, uh, that's exactly what we hope people do, actually. We, we hope that this book actually piques readers' interest in reading the Bible itself, because at the end of the day, that is the, the true Word of God, and we hope that um, by by the commentaries that we've kind of um, helped summarize and um, and the prayers, we're really hoping to create opportunities for people to dive into the Bible themselves and also to interact with Scripture in such a way that they realize that this is God speaking into their lives, and He wants us to take Scripture and apply it and use it in a personal way for His greater purposes. Oh, Kristen, I cannot give you a bigger amen than what you just said. I mean, that is the goal, is not to somehow give our take or spin or summary or Cliff Notes version, but Mm -hmm. to give people to the actual authority, the inspired, inerrant authority itself. You know, um, you also talk in the book about, to some extent, you know, we, we spiritual warfare, the unseen realm. And, you know, in our lives, and boy, the two of you know more than anyone, that when you're successful and shining for Jesus, there is just incoming artillery every place you look. How would you address mm-hmm. skeptics? 
that might say, you know, um, oh, that doesn't happen nowadays. And, you know, spiritual warfare is, is, is just euphemistic, ancient superstition. How do you explain to them? No, no, this is real. We live this every day. And especially as Christians doing the right thing, shining brightly for the Lord, this is what we have to expect. Well, uh, Paul is very explicit in Ephesians 6 that the spiritual world, though invisible to us, is actually more real than the tangible world, the material world. And the, that the real action is being manipulated and, and, and pulled off by spiritual forces, dark spiritual forces, principalities of uh, uh, darkness, and that Satan is in control of this world, which is why Jesus said, uh, he didn't say, I came to unite the world, I came to divide mother and father, brother and sister, because he knows that there's a tangible evil in the world. I, I would relate it to the modern times. How else do you explain? Have anybody with a straight face tell me that they can understand the logic of glorifying the murder of babies? Yes. And, mm-hmm. and that is what the political left and the secular pagan left is doing, glorifying it, celebrating it, and demonizing those who stand up for life created in God's image. Same thing with the mutilated, mutilation of children in the sex mm-hmm. transformation uh, technology and how that is so contrary to God's created order of man and woman, which is very gender-specific. We don't get to identify who we are. We were made in the womb by God himself, who loved us before he even created us at all. And so it's an insult to the finished work on, of Christ on the cross to say that we can just identify however we want to. Now, we are who we are. My point of all this is that evil is real. There's no other way to explain this insanity that we are witnessing in the world except for spiritual forces. Right. I, I, I wake up every day and I think it's at top of my mind what is happening to America with the cultural meltdown, with the comprehensive sexuality education, this gender thing that's going on now, the abortion thing. We live in California. Prop 1 is going to legalize mm-hmm. it up to the point of uh, birth. And that's going to yeah. they're trying to put that in our Constitution. So this is uh, probably a pretty big question. But uh, what are the greatest threats today to the church. Sometimes I think the church is not doing enough. It's not effective. It seems at this point we're kind of losing the cultural battle at this point. Yeah. Um, I I know Dad has an answer for this as well, but I I would say, first of all, just being lukewarm. You know, Jesus said that um, he wants us either hot or cold, and if we're lukewarm, he'll spit us out. We have to wake up and understand that we as Christians are to be set apart from the rest of the world. We're supposed to look different, behave different, and and that doesn't mean that we think that we're better than everyone else. It means that we have the revelation that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for our sins. And so um, we, our lives should bear fruit as such. And so we, I really believe that the church needs to um, really start meeting together more, praying together, at like having true prayer gatherings, believing in faith that the Holy Spirit can work through us in real tangible ways to make waves in this country and, and really in the world. But um, but also dad talks about this and I'll let him touch on it. Um, you know, Jesus came, he said he came to divide. He did not come to unite us. And that's because he knows that the ruler of this world is Satan. And so, 
when when we are faced with truth and and we are under Satan's spell, of course we're we're going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be offensive to people, but we have to stay true to the to the truth of the gospel because when you even give a little bit, um, the enemy will take it and and run run wild with it, as we have seen. And that's and that's what happened in the in the in the original church. That's what some of these epistles are. Paul is writing mm-hmm. letters to the churches, correcting the false teachers who have introduced heretical ideas that diluted the doctrine. And when you dilute the truth, it, it's, it's so uh, offensive to God. It's so offensive to Christ. You have to, you have, to have the gospel undiluted. Jesus, uh, salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's not by faith plus circumcision, faith plus... Amen uh, to that. Yeah, or, mm-hmm. or some adherence to Amen ceremonial rights. It's faith alone, and Paul won't let you get away with saying otherwise. And so these letters were written both to correct those people in the churches that he had just established in the Mediterranean basis, but for all Christians throughout Christian history for the last 2,000 years. They are now in Scripture, as we know, and we are, we are admonished, we are obligated to adhere to that truth, because when we, when we deviate from that truth, for the sake of pleasing man instead of God, we're not doing them a favor by so-called being tolerant and kind. We are doing them an eternal disservice by leading them astray from eternal life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's perfect. And we don't have a whole lot of time left, but uh, briefly, you said in Paul's teachings, did he pave the way for the abolition of slavery? Because we're still talking about Black Lives Matter, reparations, and this and that. But Paul, I, I didn't realize that. Did he have something to do with that? Did Getting rid of slavery? In 60, in 60 seconds or less, as Kristen knows. <laughs> <laughs> I got a hard break. Kristen, on, I mean, Anissimus, Kristen, you, you explain that better than I do. Go ahead and do it. Uh, no, you can't, Dad. It's okay. <laughs> well, no, in the letter to Philemon, uh, that, that, that's one of the, the, the epistles here, he is admonishing, or he's encouraging Philemon uh, to free the slave Onesimus, and he's not forcing him to do it, but he's telling him we are all one in Christ. And Onesimus was a slave, and he was a scape slave, and he's actually saying he's not worth anything to you. He was not anything to me before he was a Christian. Now he's a Christian. He can be so much more useful to you as a free person, but you don't have to, but I'm telling you his identity like ours is in Christ. And by, by, by establishing that slaves as well as free people were equal in the eyes of God and created in his image. He's laying a groundwork for what would eventually be the Christian's argument to overcome slavery. And by the way, the Christians historically, this is verifiable, did overcome slavery themselves by their activism. You bet. Thank you guys both so much for joining us. This has been such a blessing. A short amount of time, but it has been quality time. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, please join us next week for more of Today with Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.